0: um you wanna you want to get going yeah let's do this all right i can start us off i feel like i haven't sure. read the thing in a while yeah yeah
1: right. you got this jake you can do it
0: <laughs> oh sure hope i can still do it hello hello and welcome to skeleton pot i can't you're do, doing great. skeleton you're podcast doing great, but sweetie. <laughs> Hello, hello, and welcome to Skeleton Closet, a podcast at the intersection of queerness and horror. I'm Jake.
1: And I'm Shannon. And today we're going to be talking about a, like, a queer horror movie that is super queer called They Mm -hmm. Slash Them.
0: It kind of feels like a movie that was, like, written around the title, you know? It was like, what if there was a slasher movie called They Slash Them, and it feels like they sort of worked out from there.
1: I, I feel like that's exactly what they did. Like I they they took a cool idea, which is like they slashed them and made a movie <laughs> around it. And I feel like they like were inspired by Friday the Thirteenth, which I only like
0: realized way after.
1: Have you have you ever seen Friday the Thirteenth, Jake?
0: Like the the original like nineteen eighty yeah, one. Yeah, uh, I have. It's been a long time. I was like. Probably like 17 or so last time I saw it. But yeah, I've seen it before.
1: Oh, damn. I mean, I haven't, but I realized like at some point they like make a reference to Jason Voorhees, which is like the serial killer. (laughs) And like, I feel like like Kevin Bacon was in that movie, too. So I feel like they took, they slashed them Friday the 13th, smushed them together and were like,
0: this is a movie. Yeah, he, like, he got murdered in that movie, too. Like, he, this is... Oh, really? At least the second movie where, yeah, Kevin Bacon's been a staff at a camp that gets murdered. Yeah. And by the way, like, one of the more notable slasher movie kills, because it was, like, the first one I know of, because obviously there's so many slasher movies out there, you know, I could be wrong, but it's, it's a really memorable one. It's, like, um it's like two counselors are having sex on a bed and then an arrow comes up from below the bed and like pierces his throat that was kevin bacon (gasps) he was that's like a pretty instrumental kill in the friday the 13th universe so yeah
1: you go kevin bacon
0: yeah slasher slasher royalty um before we really get into discussing they slash them the movie uh we want to put up a a big old content warning um obviously it's a slasher so you know run-of-the-mill violence is to be expected but also just like general like predatory behavior sexual abuse um and also like institutionalized bigotry and, and physical abuse and torture that comes with that it is about a conversion camp so i mean like Anything you can think of that sort of comes into play when we talk about conversion camps, it, it sort of happens in this movie. So um, if, mm-hmm. if that's not something you're prepared to hear about, you know, it's another episode might be the one to, to check out today.
1: Yeah, but if you're ready for some bigotry, let's <laughs> talk about it. So, gee, what? what were? oh, go
0: for it. I believe I was about to ask you the same question. What are what are your sort of like overall thoughts on the movie? Like before we get into the summary, what's your like sort of just main main take? Um
1: my kind of overall thoughts like it was it was okay. Like I <laughs> I like we had been looking up reviews and stuff and they'd been pretty pretty not so great about this movie, but like I watched it. I sat there. I enjoyed some of the themes in it and i was like you know this Mm -hmm. this movie is okay like i think i really loved like this is the first time i've seen a main character so uh jordan played by theo like this is the first Mm -hmm. time i've seen a main character that i really like relate to as a non-binary person like i think jordan's like first line of like oh, so we're doing this. Okay, I'm trans binary <laughs> I was like, yes, Jordan! Like, that is exactly the mood of like, oh, okay, so this is a thing. Fine, sure. Yes. <laughs> Gendered split separation. Like, I was like, oh my God, that is so fucking relatable. So I, I loved having Jordan, like a non-binary queer, as our main character. Like, that was just... Like, it it made my heart happy, and I think the other thing that I really, really, really liked about the movie is that, with the exception of one character, none of the teens are ever, like, in danger of being killed by the killer, which, like, you don't know until the very end, but, like, I just, I I loved that, because I, like like i'm I'm so tired of seeing queer people die in movies. and like we do have a lot of queer people die in this movie, but at least like <sighs> most of the teenagers are never in danger. And like the killer isn't hunting down like the campers, but is hunting down the staff. So, I don't know mm-hmm. i I really liked that I'm, you know, on my second viewing, I didn't have to like worry about the teens, and I like knew that they were safe even when they were like alone in the woods and stuff and you know seeing the killer ah but like the killer not looking <laughs> out for the, like l- not hunting down the kids so I, I i really like that what what about you yeah. Jake? what what are your thoughts and feelings
0: I, I pretty much agree like that was my feeling leaving the movie too is like that was certainly like I, look, it's I'm I'm not going to call it a masterpiece like coming off of Black Swan like we did last week. Um, it's certainly not the the best capital F film I've ever seen, but it was a decent yeah. you know flick. Um, I don't I don't think it deserved a lot of the sort of um, like really negative reviews that it got. And well, I I have something I have notes on that for after we get through the summary. Um, but I agree that like there was a point. So the first kill is like this pervy caretaker guy who's like watching the the campers as they shower and stuff. And so he gets Mm -hmm. killed and you're kind of like, yeah, that's sort of the character that you're like, this is the red herring that we're supposed to think this is the killer, but then he's actually killed first. And the audience is like, well, that's, that's really no great loss. We don't, we don't really care that whatever that guy's name was. Bartholomew or Balthazar or whatever his name was. Um, we, we, We don't really care that he's dead. And then at some point I feel, you know, I'm, I'm really, scared for the campers like you said and then at, at some point there was a like a clicking moment in my head where i'm like this movie's not gonna do that like there's before we had the reveal of the killer i think it was during one of the love scenes that i was like okay this movie's on board they're not gonna like kill your gaze out here I, I i see what you're doing <laughs> like this movie's yeah. a little bit too loving for that so um, yeah, maybe some of the tension was cut with that, but, um, I, I, have more thoughts about that we can get into when, when we're ready to actually talk about the reviews formally. Um, but we might as well get into the summary so we can, so we can get into that, uh, a few minutes down the line. Um, Shannon, you wrote the summary for today. So do you want to start us off? Oh my God.
1: I would be honored. <clears throat>
0: Alone on the
1: road. Our first victim drives over a bed of nails, but she isn't stranded for long. Soon, a masked stranger approaches with an axe and kills her, and this is how we kick off the movie with an initial axe murder. Woohoo!
0: Always nice to get the first one out of the way, like, early, you know, done. yeah. Yeah,
1: just, just make sure people know this is an axe murder movie. <laughs>
0: yeah um we are then welcome to Whistler Camp a gay conversion camp run by Owen Wilsler Wh- Owen Owen Wilson. Whistler. I'll <laughs> I almost said Owen Wilson. It's in fact not Owen Wilson this time. It's uh, it's Kevin Bacon. In fact, uh, run by Kevin Bacon, aka Owen Whistler, and his wife, Doctor Cora Whistler. The other staff members include Nurse Molly, Balthazar, the groundskeeper, Zane, the athletics director, and his fiance Sarah, uh, the activities director. Um, Zane was a former camper and now a reformed gay, who's you know living a heteronormative lifestyle, as we say. Um, after Owen introduces the staff members, he splits the campers into the boys' cabin and the girls' cabin. Jordan, however, doesn't move. Jordan points out that they're trans and non-binary, so they don't know which cabin to go to. Uh, Owen thanks them for being honest and assigns Jordan to the boys' cabin.
1: The first camp activity is a sharing circle where each of the teens talks about why they're there. Most of the teens admit that they want to fit in or that they made a deal with their parents. Jordan made a deal with their parents and that if they went to this camp for a week, then they could legally emancipate themselves. After dinner, that concludes our campers first day. In the early morning, Alexandra, a camper, wakes before the rest of her cabin to take a shower she's caught by sarah and a fuss begins as it turns out alexandra is a trans woman and as a punishment for not telling the camp director about her transition she was moved to the boys cabin
0: later in the day alexandra sneaks into the nurse's office in there is a bucket of the kids cell phones computers and medications which were collected when they arrived Alexandra searches for her medication in the bucket, but is caught by Nurse Molly. After explaining that she's looking for her estrogen pills and needs them, Nurse Molly makes an exception to the rules and gives Alexandra her medication. That evening, the the teens are paired up into duos and handcuffed and then sent into the woods until morning. Kim and Veronica are paired up and begin an unlikely friendship.
1: The next day, Jordan has the legit worst therapy session ever with Dr. Whistler, <laughs> where she does literally everything she can to invalidate and make Jordan feel like shit. Later, after a spontaneous musical number to a pink song, Jordan sneaks out of bed and into the camp director's office. They're discovered by Oh, they discover a file filled with photos of past campers which are covered in bruises and lacerations. They're discovered by Nurse Molly, and she pledges to do her best to help protect the current campers from the abuse at camp. Meanwhile, in Balthazar, the caretaker's cabin, he watches live footage of the girl's showers when the masked murderer comes up from behind and kills him by bashing his head into the monitor of his
0: computer. Too much screen time, you know what I Too- mean?
1: yeah too much screen time yeah watching those live <laughs> shower cams Ooh, too much
0: what why wasn't the killer just spitting out one-liners like well while, while they murdered everybody that's
1: oh that would be so good like bashing the head into his like computer being like too much screen time for you lights out
0: <laughs> did you notice by the way that the killer's mask <laughs> is like slashed down like a diagonal like there is a slash in the middle of the mask I thought it yeah. was like a maybe an intentional they slash them. I don't know. I just felt oh, like oh, I like yeah. that. Sort of like a Phantom of the Opera thing going on, right? Like uh, like the mask is like cut down the half, and then it's like different on both sides. I felt
1: yeah, that it kind of looked maybe like maybe a little bit a, of foreshadowing. Yeah, like a it looked like a demented baby to me. Like <laughs> you know, because like their childhood was stolen from. But we'll we'll get to that in a minute.
0: Oh. Yeah. I truly, like, I like that take. I truly was sitting here like, I don't think any thought went into the killer mask. I thought they were just like, let's get a scary killer mask. Maybe <laughs> it'll have a slash down the middle. It's just sort of generic scary killer mask. Like, yeah. Honestly, I, I feel is. like if I walked into a spirit Halloween, I would see very, very similar masks. <laughs> like, I mean, they and it would be branded didn't. like spooky Friday mask or something. I don't know. <laughs>
1: spooky friday mask okay 1999 sweet we have our killer face
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs> um where were we balthazar's dead right uh the next day our campers are split up by sex the boys go off with owen and zane to shoot guns while the girls go with sarah to bake pies as as they're wont to do as, as uh, we the do. boys group that's what girls are always doing, baking pies, and boys are always <laughs> shooting guns. Um, or at least that's the way it should be, God damn it. Yeah. Um, the boys' group takes a disturbing twist when Owen directs Toby, another camper, to shoot the camp's resident dog, Old Duke. He explains that Duke is sick and deserves a swift death, but if Toby refuses to shoot Duke, then Zane will beat the dog to death. As Owen yells at Toby to shoot Old Duke, Jordan takes the situation into their own hands and executes Old Duke. Meanwhile, as the girls finish up baking pies, Sarah makes an advance on Kim, clearly interested in the young camper. I kind of thought Kim was, like, one of the most impressive actors in this movie, by the way.
1: I, I agree, actually. She was really good. Yeah, excellent stuff. So, after her brush with Sarah, Kim sits on a dock on the lake and smokes a joint. She's soon joined by Veronica, who reveals that she came to the camp as a research for a college paper, not because she doesn't want to be bisexual. Kim makes a comment about Jason from Friday the 13th coming out of the woods and then kisses Veronica. The two couple up and end up having sweet, sweet lesbian sex on the dock. Back <laughs> at camp, Alexandra, Toby, and Jordan plot to leave the camp
0: by nightfall. This was one moment, though, where I was like, "That scene, like, like it was beautiful, and that's great." Um, it was also like, "What are you doing? Like you're at you're at like a bigot camp, and you're in broad daylight, just <laughs> just smushing out on the dock." I was like, "You you need to make better choices. This is not how you survive a horror movie." They did, but I mean, so yeah, not a great thought process.
1: I think that's that's the indicator that like this movie is here for the gays. They were like, "You know what we need." Like they this the sex is totally unnecessary, and I feel like the writer was just like, you know what, you know what should happen? We sh- we need some we need some lesbian sex like right after this like brush with an abusive like older camp counselor who's like definitely you know trying to prey upon Kim. Kim should have some good sex. Like let's 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 yeah, make sure she true. gets her pussy licked. Like
0: you go girl, <laughs> get it. <laughs> Absolutely, and 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 she did get it. She did um, get it, girl. Back back at the lakeside. Oh wait, <laughs> yes, that's correct. Yes, uh back at the lakeside. Later that night, we joined Stu as he swims. Stu was like this jockey, athletic swimmer type camper. He doesn't he doesn't really understand what's going on with all these queers. But anyway, he's out here swimming. Uh, Soon enough, Gabriel, one of the male campers, joins Stu in the water. They make out, and when tensions grow high, Gabriel leads Stu to a tool shed where they have hot and heavy gay sex. Um, As they come down, suddenly the lights come on and Owen and Zane appear in the shed. They take Stu to a secret room and strap him to a chair in front of a television. Owen oh, then subjects Stu to aversion therapy by showing him pictures of hot men and women on the TV and electrocuting Stu when it's a man and letting him rest when it's a woman. When his treatment is done, Stu is dragged to the nurse's office with bird marks on his chest. Um, outraged, Nurse Molly decides to quit once she's done caring for Stu. And we should we should point out too, like Gabriel is revealed to actually be a camp counselor in disguise. He's not a camper yes. at all. He was like, he's the Pot who's there to like lure the lure the gay out of these kids so they can be
1: shocked. I don't know. Wild stuff. Yeah, he, he's a confederate. Like, he knows what's going on. He knows Damn. the rule of the camp. <laughs> but he's still... Okay, okay, I get a little confused by the Gabriel character because he, he is gay. He has, yep. like, straight up has gay sex like, with campers and yet that's Mm -hmm. okay somehow with our, like, camp counselors? I I don't know. I mean,
0: we can get into this a little bit more when we talk about the themes and stuff, but there's a real-world precedent for that. I mean, when it comes to, like, other different sort of, like, uh, over-policing of sexual minorities and things like that, we know that, like, for example, trans sex workers are often sort of lured in by cops— with this exact same technique and so i mean like sexual abuse in law enforcement is a well documented thing so i mean there there is a real world precedent for this it's
1: okay it
0: it may be seen as more like um like a like a domination type thing i don't know it's 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 a real complicated real complicated slice of Uh, A disturbing part of the world and a pretty disturbing worldview, but that's uh, it's it it, it does happen (laughs) Yeah,
1: that fits because gabriel was like, oh, there's predator and prey and I know which one I am. So yeah He's a a, gabriel is literally a sexual predator. Wow. (laughs)
0: Yes. (laughs) Wow.
1: So Mm -hmm. (laughs) back to summary in Zane's cabin. He and Sarah are canoodling while scrolling through the teen's social media. Excited by mostly naked pictures of Stu and Kim, Zane and Sarah begin to hump and grind when suddenly the masked killer enters the room and axes them to death. Next, Mm -hmm. the killer goes after Gabriel, who has just discovered the body of Balthazar floating in the lake. The killer knocks Gabriel out and straps him into the electrocution chair. There, Gabriel is electrocuted to
0: death. Got him. Um, When it turns to night, shit begins to hit the fan. Thanks for that, Shannon. (laughs) Um, You're welcome. Kim and Veronica go to the mess hall for a nighttime snack, only to discover the bodies of Zane, Sarah, Gabriel, and Balthazar. I'm not over the name Balthazar. That's fucking awesome. That's uh, <laughs> the camp comes together at uh, the sound of their screams. Toby rushes off to sit with Stu in the infirmary. Uh, Dr. Whistler goes to fetch two guns, one for herself and one for Owen. Before she can get the gun cabinet open, though, she gets axed and her body gets put in the closet. Outside, Alexandra leads the kids on a walk back to town rather than waiting for Owen to bring the bus around.
1: The only teens left at camp are Stu, Toby, Kim, Veronica, and Jordan. Jordan (laughs) sends Kim and Veronica to the infirmary and goes on their own to retrieve some rifles. While trying to open the gun cabinet, Jordan is interrupted by Owen. Jordan hides in the closet where he discovers Dr. Cora's body. Through the slats of the closet door, Jordan watches Owen get out a handgun and come face-to-face with the mask killer. The killer knocks Owen down, and the revolver in his hand gets tossed to the ground. The killer finally removes their mask, revealing it to be none other than Nurse Molly. What? <laughs> Except that's not her real name. Her name is Angie, and she was once a camper she murdered the real nurse molly at the beginning of the film and took her place in order to enact her plan to end the camp
0: after angie reveals her plan to end gay conversion camps with bad publicity she and owen have a scuffle during their fight jordan emerges from the closet picks up the revolver and points it at the two of them they stop fighting Um, jordan then aims the gun squarely at owen Angie tries to convince Jordan to shoot Owen, but Jordan decides to put the gun down. When they do, Angie rushes Owen and pushes him backward into the horn of a taxidermied rhinoceros. To finish Owen off, Angie slits his throat while quoting the camp motto, Respect, Renew, Rejoice, and then her own little addition, REVENGE!
1: Ah yes, sweet, sweet revenge! (laughs) Jordan then exits the building, and that's when the Popo arrive. Paramedics takes Stu to the hospital, Toby riding alongside with him. The police apprehend Angie and all the teens are safe. Yay. A happy, mo- mostly happy ending, you know, and Jordan is going to go get himself. God damn it. Jordan is going to go get themselves emancipated. Now a pink song rolls and it's a happy, happy, happy ending for all of our campers.
0: Yeah, I mean, so we talked about it a couple times. It felt like you could sort of see the ending coming that it was going to be like probably the one good counselor that they're like staff member that's there. Um, yeah, might might end up being the one who's sort of hacking up all the other ones. Um, I don't think that necessarily came as a surprise, and I did feel like the the moment at the end where um, Jordan is is pointing the gun at Owen and Angie's like you're you're strong enough to kill him you're strong enough to do this. Yeah. And Jordan is like, no, I'm strong enough not to do this, and then puts the gun down. I was like, okay, this is straight up like the Star Wars moment. Like, we we can rule the galaxy as father and son. And then <laughs> Luke Skywalker's like, I'll never join you! And, like, that's really what it felt like. It was... It, just a moment that we've seen over and over again in movies like no, yeah. i won't go down the road of the bad side of being filled my heart filled with revenge i will it more more effectively done in other movies i think it's fair to say yes
1: i i will say i think like as much as i love love the character of jordan i think mm-hmm. that it was jordan's acting or like Theo's acting as Jordan, that w- wasn't wasn't as amazing. Like really, yeah. Like I th- I think they did a pretty good job, but like I feel like as the main character, Jordan, like the acting just didn't hold up, and I think that's because like Jordan's acting was so closely juxtapositioned with Kevin Bacon, who is like you know like a veteran in the acting world (laughs) yeah yeah, yeah. i I don't know if like jordan's actor is so i i just i don't know I, i don't know what i want different from their acting but i know i wanted more
0: that's fair. I think like maybe sometimes, and this is where I mean, I feel like we say this fairly often, but it's not like we're film experts, right? Like yeah. neither of us, we didn't like go to film school or anything. We don't know shit. We just kind of like we're just two, I don't know, friends talking about our opinions yeah. about movies. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We're we're just people who like are and talking about it, and that's fine. Um, I don't know what makes a good actor, right? I feel like most of the time yeah. I know good acting when I see it, but I can't like tell you what's good and what's bad about it um i felt like when i was watching jordan the character i was like oh i find like it might just be the personal aesthetic of theo right i was just like oh this is like such a a, i hope handsome is not too gendered a word for like a non-binary person and character but i was like "Oh, what a handsome strapping young individual i want to i want to protect them i want to see jordan grow up big and strong and so i felt that like (laughs) jordan fulfilled maybe just the basic main character like, um, responsibilities of like, I find you a a, you know, a sympathetic person, I want to see you succeed, I don't want to see you die, um so for me, I was like maybe that was all we needed from this character, but I could definitely see how like, yeah, maybe not like the most strongly written, like it is kind of just main character (laughs) yeah, you go, (laughs) right um, I wanted to talk about the the reviews and the ratings that this movie got, because we were talking on on last week's episode, which we actually recorded a few weeks ago now, so it it feels like a while ago, but we were saying, like, everyone sort of agreed that this movie was either going to be great or awful, like, depending on what direction they went with it. And the reviews were so bad. I was like, oh, no, is is Kevin Bacon going to be in, like, a hate crime of a movie? I hope not. (laughs) And then we were like, who knows? Sometimes people like review bomb things if they don't like messaging. And so it could be like political and stuff. But so I went and looked. The movie has a 3.5 out of 10 on IMDb, like pretty much right the same, like a 34% on Rotten Tomatoes and a 19% audience score on Rotten Tomatoes. So like not good. Like, right, this movie got panned. Um, But the thing is, the reviews were not even homophobic or transphobic or, or bigoted or anything. Like for the most part, I was just seeing things like, they just didn't like the movie they thought it was too um predictable they didn't think that it hit the right the right beats and stuff so mm-hmm. i'm sitting here as someone who just thought this movie was not bad like not a like i said not a masterpiece not a perfect movie yeah. by any means but so my my question is do, do i just have bad taste or do these people just not get it
1: <laughs> well i like i feel like i feel like we watch these movies with a very different expectation Like, Mm. I, I know when I'm watching, like, the movies for the podcast, I'm, I'm looking for themes and I'm looking for, you know, Mm -hmm. how does it make me feel? What are the messages? And I feel like, like, they did a pretty good job in working in a few consistent themes, like, that we're going to talk about. Mm -hmm. Like, especially the theme about killers and killing and, like, predator and prey relationships. And... Mm. No like like what what would you rate this movie like out of ten? What would you rate?
0: It? <laughs> I would say a solid like maybe six feels too low, but seven it, is a little too high. Like a six and a half too. out of ten. Yeah. Yeah. Not well, a nineteen exactly out of a hundred though. That's way too low for yeah, me. Yeah, that's too I'd, low. But I yeah. I would give this a solid
1: passing grade.
0: It's like a solid, you know, C plus B minus movie. I yeah. would say, yeah, yeah, a C plus plus maybe. <laughs> yeah, certainly, uh, a <laughs> C plus plus. <laughs> I now I did see some reviews that I that I pretty much agreed with. Um, Callum Marsh from the New York Times said, uh, "Logan," referring to John Logan, the the writer and director. Um, so. Directed the movie, also wrote the screenplay. Logan feels so averse to engaging with the thorny political mm. implications inherent in this material of having to negotiate a cast of gay, transgender, and non-binary characters in a horror context that the whole thing winds up feeling rather tame. And I think that's yes. sort of like that's sort of how I started to feel during that like lesbian doc sex scene, right? It's like, yeah. okay, I think we understand that the movie's on board now, and now I'm not worried for the characters' lives anymore, because I think I know where this is going to go. um and similarly peter de bruges of variety wrote it's so committed to affirmational messages about queer identity not being a choice a condition or a legitimate motive to get axed by a deranged serial killer that the movie all but forgets to be scary uh Mm -hmm. although enlisting kevin bacon as too genial to be trusted camp overseer owen whistler nearly makes it work i feel that i agree wholeheartedly with that like they didn't quite get into the weeds enough to make this a scary movie it's truly not a scary movie
1: It's not like it has, (laughs) it has an ax murderer and there are some moments of suspense. And I think the, actually, I, I think this, like I wrote in my notes, I was like, the scariest part of this movie is not the murderer. Like the scariest part is the camp itself. And like, I really thought that the scene where Jordan is having therapy, quote unquote therapy, that is probably one of the scariest moments for me watching it because i was like oh my god like i can't imagine being in jordan's shoes and sitting there as like a therapist like a doctor sits across from you mm-hmm. and tells you that like you're nothing you're a disappointment you're just asking for attention blah 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 and like yeah having to deal with that and i was like that is fucking terrifying jesus
0: christ so like this
1: and, yeah
0: yeah go for it, it well and she did it all with like this like creepy like haunted doll smile on her face yeah. the whole time too that therapy session while she's like straight up throwing slurs at 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 them and like denying yep. their like accusing them of faking their gender identity and stuff and that was like so richard roper said and this was the last review the the real horror it's the real horror here is institutionalized bigotry like that yeah that is what we're dealing with. Right. And so I think it was like, for me, it was a subversion of the ax murderer movie. It's, I think it's signaled relatively early on that the ax murderer is actually on our side. So we don't actually have to be scared of the ax murderer. Um, yeah. But yeah, like that therapy scene, terrifying. I thought like the, the actor who played that therapist did a, did a terrific job with that. Um, yeah. In, like the scene where Alexandra gets caught in the shower like, I don't want to say gets caught in the shower because it's, like, what, gets caught being trans, but that's it, right? Like, the, yeah. the invasiveness, the way that the counselors do not respect anyone's personal space or boundaries and act like like the campers are the ones in the wrong when they're the ones invading their space. Like, that was the horror for me. So that's where I'm inclined to say, I think a lot of these reviewers didn't get it. They figured out who yeah. the ex-murderer was earlier. early. They figured out that the campers weren't in trouble from... of in danger of getting ax murdered. And then they chalked it up to not a scary movie where for me it is it the way that people are treated is scary, but maybe there's other movies who have dealt with similar material in a more meaningful way. Like Boy Erased comes to mind, which is a whole movie based on a true story about, um, conversion therapy. And so maybe like, and, I come from a place of privilege in this, right? I've never been subjected to anything resembling conversion therapy or anything like that or, or a conversion camp. Um, and I don't believe, I, I think people, I've heard directives not to say conversion therapy anymore because we're not, we're not still living in a world where we pretend that this is therapy. Um, yeah. But I I think there's maybe movies who have done, <laughs> who have, who have exposed this uh, side of the world in a more honest and impactful way than setting a slasher movie within a conversion therapy camp. So I don't know. I definitely have mixed feelings. I just don't think it's a 19 out of a hundred. That's where I land. Yeah.
1: I I really like how you said this is a subversion of a classic slasher, because I Mm -hmm. think that I think our lesbian sex scene is where like, it really flips the switch to be like, this is subversive because they have sex and they don't die. And Mm -hmm. that already is a subversion. And I love, I do love how they bring in the, uh, where the counselors Zane and Sarah, like they're only like doing foreplay. Like they don't even have sex and yet they die. So I love how (laughs) it seems like when it comes to the queer characters, the horror stereotypes are paused and like put on pause but for the mm. like quote unquote straight characters or the characters who are like really trying to be straight, those horror stereotypes remain true.
0: Yeah, and there's like a ton of examples, like of classic, like movies that are considered classics, slashers especially, where characters are killed for what se- it seems like they are killed for some form of sexual deviance, right? Whether they're yes camp counselors who are far too slutty and so they need to be murdered for it uh or or whatever it is right and then this movie continues that so zane and sarah get murdered and and balthazar get murdered for their sexual deviance because they are perving on literal children um but the the characters who are like it, it juxtaposes that you know, trans and, and queer sex is normal. This is not DNA. Yeah. You you don't get killed for having consensual loving sex. You do mm-hmm. get killed for um, that, that other stuff, that other nonsense.
1: Yeah, the stuff where you... In are. the movie.
0: In Minecraft. I'm not, I'm not advocating yeah, yeah. murdering people. <laughs> <laughs> yes, please
1: do not murder people, especially if they're queer. <laughs> so, although although this movie does subvert quite a few like horror genre stereotypes, it does maintain one, um, which is isolation. Like we go mm-hmm. up to the camp, you know, it's a no service zone are it's like out in the woods in the middle of nowhere and has that kind of like classic setup of isolation.
0: Yeah. And I mean, isolation is a theme that is like present in a lot of horror movies. And like, again. Summer camp is like the, the, um, quintessential location for a slasher movie going back to Friday the 13th. Um, but also isolation is a huge factor within queer politics, right? Like it is, it's known as a thing that like queer people tend to flock to cities to escape isolation because cities just make it a little bit easier for people to come together. You know, um, I feel like it, it feels like if you run in certain circles nowadays, it feels like everyone is queer or trans in some way, but yeah. like the reality is we're still a minority, right? So in a big city, it's easier for people to come together. There's, there may not be, uh, you know, a whole lot of people, uh, a whole lot of queer and trans people as a segment of the the general population, but in a big city, even a small Relatively small group of people can still find enough to come together and support economies and businesses and and different events and things like that. So, we, we, it's sort of a perception that you know queer people don't exist in rural places. Um, yeah, it's not true, but it's sort of seen as an as an urban phenomenon, and I think that sort of lends to the summer camp experience in a way.
1: Yeah, an urban phenomenon, queerness what a way to put it.
0: Yeah. Well, and I mean, like it's, it's documented that like, it's harder to get like gender affirming medical care in rural, uh, in in rural communities, for example, it's harder to get care that, um, you know, we, we know from the history of like the AIDS epidemic, for example, that like at certain times, people of, of who are within different sexual communities need different types of medical care or need to consider different things. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it's important for, for care providers to be informed of, uh, queer and trans issues. And again, that's harder to find in rural areas than in the city. So it's, it's, it can be, it, it is the experience of some people that it's harder to thrive in rural areas as a queer or a trans person. Um, and that is part of like, I always say summer camp culture is a double-edged sword. And like, I was, yeah. I was a camp person. Like I, I went to, I went to summer camp as a kid And I worked there for years and I've seen both sides of it. And there are some kids who absolutely love getting away from everything, right? Like, and Mm -hmm. I was one of those, I was like, oh, I get to get away from the kids that I spend all year with, who I don't really get along with. And I get to go to camp and I get to, you know, find all new people to interact with. And we're, we're not worried about sort of the pressures of the outside world. We're out here having a paddle on the lake. And isn't that a fun time? And then there's some people who it's like, if I am disconnected from my support system, that will be so bad for me. Um, And then summer camp can feel like a horror movie, right? It feels like, oh my God, I am out here. There's no, there's no one here for me. Um, There's all this weird ritualism going on. Everyone's chanting all the time and and there's fires (laughs) and and (laughs) I don't know what's going on. Um, So it can be used for good or bad. And, and I think like, um, I, and I've seen both sides of it. I had camp counselors who told me that this is the YMCA, which stands for the Young Men's Christian Association, and therefore you're not allowed to be gay here. And if you find out anyone's gay, you got to tell us, which is not the policy of the YMCA, Whoa. by the way. That was just this one counselor going buck wild. Um, wow. Yeah, no, that, that happened when I was like probably 12, 13. Um, oh. But then when I worked at camp, Like, I I worked for the same organization, and we were, like, absolutely, like, an inclusive, affirming place that, like, so it totally tends, it it depends how these places are run, right? Whether they're a valuable coming-of-age experience or or whether there's something that truly feels horrific. Um, Like, isolation, social isolation is such a big thing nowadays right and there was there was a big thing in the 70s where there was a big cult boom and it became like a a big uh, social panic but you know notably like the manson family murders and things like that mm-hmm. um it was an economy where there were like there was high unemployment the jobs that were available were very menial and low paying um, so you had people who were desperate for meaning and social connection and also desperate for uh, a way to pay their living expenses. So if you have someone with either an on-site work environment or, let's say, a ranch or a compound out in the desert, and it's like, hey, you can come work here, and it's like not very hard, and we'll pay for your living expenses, and then you get attached to to a, a charismatic personality. Yeah. There was a huge cult boom back then, and I think it's sort of echoing today um, in in the in the late COVID, let's say, post COVID era. Um people are desperate for social connection. Um yes. charismatic personalities are sort of running rampant on social media. Um and people are desperate for for meaning and community and I think we're going to see uh, it's already happening and you can see there's so many like influencers who are trying to sell you on all sorts of wild ways to live your life and telling you to, I don't know, drink bleach for your gut health or whatever. Um, yeah. I think we're going to see an echo of that 70s cult boom today.
1: Well, I and mean, we, we are, yeah. right? Because, like, um, the first thing that pops into my mind is the Freedom Convoy and yeah. how they, you know, uh, coalesced around a single leader and then were living on the streets of Ottawa for what a week or two and like literally just took over and for this cult following essentially and following like the rhetoric especially and Mm
0: -hmm. like
1: I I feel like that's our show of like people searching for um a group to feel like they're making a difference or finding meaning or doing something that matters, you know, and they saw it as a protest, whereas really they were just a cult that set up, you know, on the streets of Ottawa, that's it.
0: Yeah, and another issue that people tend to like really rally around, speaking of, uh, people like searching for meaning in really weird places is transphobia and the bathroom debate. Shannon, do you wanna talk about that? (laughs)
1: yeah so like people are very obsessed with this kind of gender essentialism of your like thinking that the essence of your gender is your genitals right and obsessing over uh people who could potentially be preyed on while in the bathroom and i mean we see this in the movie with alexandra as she's in the bathroom minding her own business being like very discreet and respectful of like the other girls in her cabin by like taking a shower in the very very early hours of the morning when no one else is there and yet she gets caught by a counselor and the counselor sees her naked sees her genitalia and decides oh shit like Alexandra because she doesn't have a vagina must be um, a man. And that's Mm -hmm. this kind of gender essentialism of like, oh, it doesn't matter how you present yourself. It doesn't matter how you identify. If you have a certain genital that makes you a certain gender. And that is fucking ridiculous. But that's what we see in this movie. However, we also see a contrast to this with Jordan, so, and, and this actually rings quite true for how transphobia manifests in our, like, general society. What, ha- what tends to happen is people are transphobic to trans-feminine people, but they'll be more accepting of trans-masculine people. So we have mm. this interesting uh, divide where Alexandra is, you know, she's discovered to be trans— forced to go to the boy's cabin, forced to dress in masculine clothing, and they refer to her by a dead name, which is Alexander, and use only he, him pronouns for her. Whereas a mm-hmm. different situation happens for Jordan, where Jordan outs him, outs themselves. See, even, like, it fucks me up, because, like, in the movie, <laughs> they present Jordan as masculine, send Jordan to the boy's cabin, And mostly refer to Jordan with he, him pronouns. And, like, that fucks me up talking about him, right? See? Him! (laughs) My God! It's so, like... Like, as a non-binary person, I feel, like, so shitty for, like, using he, him pronouns for Jordan. But, like, that's what happens in the movie. And that's because Jordan looks masculine. Like, Jordan Mm -hmm. is very much the stereotypical non-binary person that you're going to find in North America. Jordan is white. Jordan is slim. Jordan is masculine. And Jordan is brunette with a short haircut. Like, that is the stereotypical non-binary trans person that you're going to see in social media, right? Like, Mm -hmm. they tend to be masculine and tend to be white and tend to be brunette. And, like... I was this Mm -hmm. kind of non-binary person, right, until I let my hair grow out, and now it's a bit different. But, like, Jordan garners so much more respect from the camp leader, Owen, than does Alexandra. And that just shows you, like, the shittiness of transphobia. Like, if you are a trans woman, Mm -hmm. especially, like, a trans woman of color, you're not going to get that respect. But if you're a non-binary, masculine-presenting person you're going to get more of that respect because it comes down to sexism. Like a lot of transphobia is rooted in sexism, which is all about hating feminine as opposed to, and like respecting masculine. So I don't know. We see a lot of this transphobia and like, I, so like going back to like camps and stuff, like I find it interesting because like the only camp I've ever been to was a gay camp where it was like, Hmm we had mixed gender cabins and like it was, it was very interesting because like we actually, yeah, like it it was so uninteresting like to go to gate camp <laughs> where like it, you know, you're not split up into cabins that are boys cabins and girls cabins. No, it was just cabins of like six to seven people that were all gender cabins. And like, I think mm-hmm. my cabin had like, trans men and non-binary people in it and like other cabins had like trans women and non-binary people and i think like mixed us all up and like you know uh cis people who were like gay and lesbian and like bisexual but there were there were no issues like we just created this little cult following of our own where you were accepted regardless of being trans regardless of being gay being feminine masculine whatever and like that, that was the way to escape this kind of like camp, you know, battle of the sexes or whatever. And this gender essentialism was to just treat every camper as exactly that a camper, like that's it. You're mm-hmm. either a camper or your staff. There was nothing about like, are you masculine or feminine? Are you like queer or trans? It literally did not matter
0: it's interesting how like you know we rooted this all in the whole like bathroom debate thing and yeah. it's really wild how as soon as you start spending time in any sort of place that is gender neutral that is typically gendered so if you talk about a gay camp where you have non-gendered cabins or you even just go to a coffee shop with gender neutral bathrooms yeah. like you, you just realize immediately like half of this shit doesn't need to be gendered there's just exactly.
1: no
0: like hey Like, man, most people, okay, not at camp. I was going to say most people are adults, but, you know, you get what I'm saying. Most people are mature enough to just handle that, hey, there might be men, women, non-binary people, boys, girls, whatever, in the same place at the same time, and that's generally fine. I don't know. Like, I get that that for some people, and especially women, there might be privacy concerns in places like bathrooms, but my favorites are the ones where it's like, you ever been to one where it's like a, a bathroom uh, setup where you've got, instead of stalls, you have an actual room for every single, like, toilet? Yes. I Those are my favorites. And then they may either have a sink in that room or, like, a common bank of sinks that everyone uses. Those are the best. Why doesn't everyone just do that? It's so much better on every single standard I can think of. Like, yeah. I there are just so many spaces that are unnecessarily gendered. And I think, like... For a long time we've just been overthinking it like it doesn't really need to be this big debate that it is um and my favorite thing to point out when it comes to the whole like trans bathroom debate especially in the states because in the south that's like a real you know Remaking. fire pot of an issue yeah like there have been more documented cases of republican lawmakers assaulting women in bathrooms than trans men assaulting women in bathrooms so like um I just I just don't think any of this is worth all the time that, like, they make us spend on it, but that's, you know, that's on them.
1: <laughs> yeah, like, people just want to pee. That's it.
0: Yeah, that's truly it. I really like, too, there was a line where Alexandra says something. It's when she's leading the campers back to, um, back to town. Do you remember yeah. the line? She says, like, I'm a black trans woman. Just taking care of myself is what I do, or something like that, or, like, staying alive yeah. is what I do. It was, like... I, I feel bad that I can't remember it fully, but it was, it was a ball. Yeah. It
1: was on. like, she's like, I'm a, I'm a black trans woman. I ain't afraid of anything. Like
0: something like that. Yeah. It was. Yeah. I love how sick. she was like, <laughs> all
1: right, everybody follow mama. And I was like, yes, queen. Okay. Yeah. Go off. Like you face this on the daily. Like you ain't scared of nothing.
0: You know what? She actually leads really well. So the next topic that we wanted to talk about is, is authenticity versus denialism. Um, yeah and she like alexandra is a great character to talk about because she is full authentic all the time oh um, our our introduction to a lot of the different characters uh is this sharing circle at the beginning right where uh everyone is invited to share why they're at this camp and and what they're doing here um alexandra is the only one of the only ones it was just like So she doesn't out herself as trans in the sharing circle, but she says, I have no interest in not being gay. I love me some lady. And that is the way she introduces herself is like, she, um, she's not here to be changed. She is very sure of who she is. Um, and I, I love that. Not all of the characters are so self-assured. Uh, Kim says, um, it's like I'm pretending to be this thing and I don't want to pretend anymore. Uh, Stu says, I just want to be like everybody else. And Veronica says, we know later that she's lying, but she says, I don't want to waste my soul fighting this thing. I just want to make it go away. Um, mm-hmm. and, and this is the crux of like a lot of what they do at this camp and in, in real life um, conversion treatment settings. Uh, yeah. Like after the psychology session from hell, uh, where... where the doctor tried to convince Jordan that that they're faking their gender identity. Jordan asks Alexandra if she ever feels like they're faking for attention. Um, mm-hmm. And this is why I wanted to talk about this because, because transphobes and homophobes who are organized do this on purpose. Um, yes. Like qu- queer and trans identities are suppressed. And then they point to that subsequent absence of queer and trans individuals as evidence that, Queer and trans youth are are faking their gender or sexuality for attention. Um mm-hmm. so, so they frame basically gender and sexual diversity as a problem to be solved, hence the utility of conversion camps. That's why that's their whole raison d'être. Um Owen tries to to mask that with like the, the pseudo-woke way that he talks. He he we didn't yeah. talk about this yet, but he comes off very friendly at the beginning of the movie. He does. Like he's like, oh, extensive. we're not exactly he has this this like this mask of like woke diction where he's like we're not trying to convince anybody not to be themselves we want you we just want here's here's the deal how about you try a gender normative lifestyle for a week and then you see how that goes and then if you want to go back to being you 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 can um and like the thing that that makes the staff the most angry is when the campers have their little like impromptu pink karaoke party where they're all like affirming each other and they're all like you're you're exactly who you need to be you're fucking beautiful whatever um that moment where they're all affirming each other is like the moment that's basically sends the the camp staff into a tizzy and, and starts up a lot of the abuse that we see for the rest of the movie yeah yeah like
1: Uh, yeah, 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 I, yeah, yeah. like, okay, one of the things that has, like, and, and they, they do it quite well in the, the scene with Jordan's counseling is, um, talking about how, like, oh, you're doing this for attention. And that yeah. has always fucking pissed me off. Like, one of the things mm-hmm. about, like, being, queer and trans i like you know even when i when i like you know before i even figured out i was trans and i like you know stopped shaving my legs like people were like oh you're doing this for attention and i'm like no i i do not want attention like this is the opposite like i i don't want your attention like this is not like trying to be interesting this is not trying to be different this is just trying to exist in my own body as i you know in a comfortable way and like you know i i even like heard that like from family when like my little cousin was transitioning as well and they were like oh uh you know they're just doing it for attention like they just they just want to be different and i'm like no no like as someone who like is going through the same thing like going through a transition like you like you literally do not want people to pay attention to that part of you, especially at that time, Mm. as you're going through like the initial parts of a transition. Like it is, it is not a cry for attention. It is, you know, a a cry for just wanting to be authentic, you know? And like,
0: as soon as you,
1: uh, Yeah. Recognition of like, this is who I am. Like, Mm -hmm. it's it's a cry for respect that's it like it's not for attention it's not to be special it's not to like be different like it's just to be comfortable in your own body like i i i don't know yeah i don't know why people always think like immediately oh it's a cry for attention it's like no no honey like this is not something you would want attention for like yeah. The only attention you're getting from this is attention from transphobes and homophobes, and like
0: nobody mm-hmm. wants that attention. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. That's simple. Well, and since since I knew we'd be spending time talking about this, I wanted to like because I know we've heard from from members of our audience in the past before who I think we are we are relatively privileged, right? Like I, yes. I'll speak for myself, actually. Like especially I'm I'm a cis man. No one has ever questioned. My gender identity. Um, but I because we're talking about all this and like if you watch the movie, I find like that psychology scene might be hard to watch because like literally the psychologist speaks directly into the camera and tells you that you're faking this for attention and whatever. So like to anyone listening to our audience, just know that you know yourself better than anyone else does you you are whoever you say you are who you think you are even if you don't know who that is yet that's that's better you know more about yourself than anyone who tries to tell you otherwise so fuck them um and i even though we know veronica was lying at that moment i love the line where she said i don't want to waste my soul fighting this thing because when she first says that it it feels like it comes from a safe a place of like self-hatred and she says "I, i just want to make it go away Um, I, I want to tell our, our listeners, if, if you ever, if you ever feel this way, don't waste your soul fighting the insecurities that bigots want to saddle you with. That is their soul's burden to bear, not yours. So, um, you know, just in case anyone needed to hear that, I don't know. I feel like this movie got heavy for, (laughs) for a moment there. So it did, it really
1: did. But I, I do love how they put in that rhetoric in like in this counseling therapy session because it highlights that like we already know that the staff members are bad guys like we know that at the Mm -hmm. beginning of the movie so we get this bad guy like the doctor we get her delivering these lines that are very real you know that like a therapist would actually say to someone who is trans and we know that they're the bad guys. So we know that their rhetoric is bullshit and we know that they're saying like spewing lies. So I do, I do enjoy that. We know she's the bad guy. We know that what she's saying is bad. We know that yeah. her lines are like, th- these are the lines of a bigot.
0: Yep. A hundred percent. And a you know, a discerning audience can definitely tell that it's not a, uh... It, that's it, it's meant to be that this is something that that you as the viewer disagree with and and view as um, a, a cruelty that's being enacted upon upon Jordan. Um, yeah. One thing I'll say, and we're since we're talking about authenticity too, and 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 being self assured. Um, when we were talking about Jordan as a main character one thing that I loved that they did a couple of times and look I, I don't think it's okay to misgender people obviously right yeah but I absolutely loved there was one moment where um, after like the cabin sorting and whatever and Owen tells Jordan like okay go join the boys cabin and kind of see how that feels and whatever right mm-hmm. um, they walk over and Stu the, the swimming jock is like are they seriously and Jordan's like yes ma'am
1: yeah. Oh my I... God. I loved when Jordan did that when, like, when they were, like, shooting guns and stuff, too, and had, like, a little shooting <laughs> yeah. competition between, like, Jordan and the, like, counselor Zane. And Zane, yeah. Zane's like, oh, you go first. And Jordan's like, oh, no, ladies first. And, like, just hits, like, the insecure masculine guys with this, like, you go, girl. Like, kind of rhetoric oh i love it
0: and it's like it's it's interesting where that falls politically for me because it's like when when men do that with each other when it's like oh ladies first or whatever it's like oh really we're insulting men by comparing them to women like fuck you that's shitty yeah um but when jordan does it in this context i think it's awesome (laughs) so like i don't know like yeah it's uh because it's like i think in this context, it's not so much about, like, yeah, we're men, and if you were a woman, that sure would be funny. That's how men do it. But Jordan's coming at it from a place of, like, you're not respecting my gender identity, so how does it feel when I don't respect yours? Pretty bad, yeah, right? Exactly. Like, when I emasculate you, so maybe don't do that no more. <laughs> like, Yeah. I, uh, I loved that. That was, like, maybe the most character we got from Jordan, and, and I really yes. liked it.
1: And that's when, that's the parts when, like, Jordan's character felt really authentic. Like, that's when they really uh-huh. nailed the character. Like, that, that was the good shit. And, like, like, that's the parts when, like, this movie felt very real to me as well. And, like, there was, so there was another part when the movie felt really real to me because it hearkened to, like, um, like, a very familiar experience, like, So Mm. in the, like, right after the kids arrive at the camp, they collect their cell phones and computers and medication. And, like, usually, like, a camp would collect the medication so they could, like, dole out the medication to the kids. But here, they're just depriving them of their meds. And so, like, in the case of Alexandra, that's her estrogen pills, but, like, In the case of the other kids, it could be their antidepressants, their antipsychotics, their, like, mood stabilizers, anything. And, Mm -hmm. like, even their antihistamines, right? Like, and that is, like, the first cruel thing that happens in the movie, which is depriving kids of their medication. And, like, I remember one of my friends was telling me about going to Bible college. Like, they took away their medication. And, like for them at that point it was for bipolar so like they didn't have their mood stabilizers and it turned their experience at bible college like an entire like year of not being on their medication into like a hellscape because like they were used to like treating their mental health and like their mental illness with medication and like mood stabilizers Mm -hmm. and instead they were taken off of those very abruptly. So like going through the withdrawals for their medication and like suddenly experiencing symptoms from like their mental illness that they hadn't dealt with in so long. And like going through this like intense experience at the same time. Right. Like it is, it is genuinely cruel to deprive people of their medication. Like, and I like this camp kind of like rings true because like, their justification would probably be oh we want you to be at your most natural state like not having like these chemicals in your body to like change who you are and it's like fuck you fuck you yeah, i need beca- my medication man
0: i so and to be clear this friend at bible college like this is college college like this these are adults like people like 18 to 22ish adults, yeah and yeah.
1: they're
0: that's so weird to me i understand when it's camp and they're minors and it's a matter of, like, okay, we need to be the ones to dispense the medication yeah, to make sure monitor. that it's being done safely. Like, I get that. It's not great, but I get it. I don't get it when it comes to college. Like, they're yeah. adults, too. Oh, that's strange to me. Um, right, yeah.
1: Ugh.
0: I'm, I'm really thankful. Like, so when I went to camp as a kid, I know that they did, like, bag searches. So we'd be out, like swimming or whatever and they would like counselors would come into our cabins and like search our bags to make sure that we didn't have any contraband I don't know um and like so I had friends who had like a camping knife that they brought with them and then it got confiscated like during bag searches um while we were out yeah um so whatever I was really really happy that when I was old enough to work at camp they had discontinued that practice by then so Mm. I never had to like go in because I would like I would not be comfortable like being the staff member to invade a kid's, like, personal space like that. Like, that's, mm-hmm. uh, that's too much, man. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad they don't do that.
1: <laughs> yeah, because, like, one of the things about camp is that you have very little privacy. Like, you're mm-hmm. sharing a bunk room with multiple other people. Like, I, I don't know about you, but, like, I don't know. The privacy at camp was, was not amazing,
0: no yeah i'm alone i agree with that i was someone who like didn't have enough like exposure to other people as a kid so i was like oh yeah sweet like we're all we're all gonna sleep in the same place and like whatever none of that was like bothersome to me because i don't know maybe maybe it would have for you know for a person in a different situation but um that was like that was something I personally was never bothered by, but looking back on Mm -hmm. it, I'd be like, oh yeah, if that's like a, if privacy is like a genuine concern to you for any reason whatsoever, um, beyond any like gender or trauma related stuff, I can understand why that would not be fun.
1: Yeah. So, okay, Jake, (laughs) you, you've been to camp a lot. And like, so I've only been to gay camp, which was like very much like very queer. Um, Mm-hmm. And, like, didn't have that much physical activity. But I know, like, the stereotypical camp has, like, target shooting with, like, arrows and shit. Like, did you guys ever do that?
0: Oh, yeah. All the time. What? Yeah, no, we did that all the time. I was I was a pretty good archer, and I, like, taught kids to, to shoot bows and arrows and stuff. And Aww.
1: um, I, I don't know where I'm going. I, I was going to, like, try to transition <laughs> us, like, really smoothly into our, like next discussion (laughs) segment but like i don't think there is a smooth transition to like talking about this kind of like the hunting and like killing and like killer themes but i think like Mm. it is interesting because like camp does prepare you for certain things and some of those things are survival themed right so talking about like survival, hunting, you know, predators, prey, that sort of stuff. Like, you are going to learn that at a camp um, and you're going to have some group cohesion around this. And in our movie, like, it comes down to like, you know, they they've split off into two different groups, you know, the boys and the girls. The girls are going to be inside baking pies, getting ready to serve those to the boys. And meanwhile, the boys are out kind of, like, mimicking hunting, and they're going shooting with these rifles. And I really loved this theme and how they wove it throughout the movie of, like, who's got the killer instinct? And, like, mm-hmm. Owen, our, like, camp director, is, like... I love the speech that he gives about, like, okay, where's my killer? Like, who's gonna be my killer? Who's got the killer instinct? And I love... Um, Like, that right after Jordan is told that Owen doesn't like them, like, Jordan's like, well, he has no idea who he's hunting. And it really has this idea of, like, Owen is hunting queers and killing their queerness at the camp. And, like, killing, Mm. like, the queer spirit that's inside these campers. And, like, Mm. this theme of hunting and killing, like, ties into, like, the decoration with all, like, the taxidermied animals and, like into this scene with like old Duke where you know he forces like a camper to kill like this hunting dog this old hunting dog and i i love the irony that ties in at the end of like oh owen is very obsessed with like talking about how these like the boys are supposed to be hunters like they're trained to it through like biology And that it ends up being a woman who's actually killing people at the camp. And, like, the murderer is a woman Mm -hmm. and not a man. So that's, like, (laughs) a really nice subversion of that. And I know you wanted to talk a bit about Owen Spiel as well. So, like, please go on.
0: Yeah, well, okay, so, like, like, to that point. Owen, when he's going through this monologue at the shooting range, he talks about, like, like, their role in society as men, right? And and I think, like, a lot of people who are are men or who grew up boys or, or, or you know, grew up assigned uh, male at birth or anything like that uh, in certain youth settings have been exposed to something like this. Probably not that extreme. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe that extreme in some mm-hmm. settings, but it's a lot of, like, you are, you're boys and you'll grow up to be men, and this is what men do. And oh. here's how... Here's what you need to become if you want to be a man and all of these Mm -hmm. different things. And yeah, whether it's killer instinct or whether it's, I don't know, this, that or the other, uh, some, sometimes there's positive messages of, of, of responsibility and, and um, chivalry and things like that, which are coded into it. And that's all well and good. Mm -hmm. But here's the thing. His spiel is so full of like pseudoscience and talking as though he knows certain truths about the world when he knows nothing. Um, He talks about how men have evolved to be a certain way, um, that they have passed the killer instinct down through DNA, um, that that masculinity is something that is inherited genetically from your forefathers. And he wraps up this spiel by saying that is science, like very definitively, (laughs) as though like this is like I have described science to you that that we get. (laughs) masculinity from our genes from our fathers and grandfathers and whatever that's all well and good if you ignore that men are also descended from women right (laughs) like if you ignore that men have mothers generally speaking biologically like generally you have a mother and then you get half your genes from that person and half your genes from your father and there's certainly like nowadays there's there's more ways that that people come to exist in the world but um historically speaking we've all got at least one female relative right <laughs> like um when you go back through the ages um so that doesn't make any sense what owen's talking about and mm-hmm. this is another thing when it comes to like once you start i'm a person who used to spend way too much time online and just engaging with like uh bigoted content and in a way that i'm like if I argue with these people enough on the internet, certainly at some point they'll realize that they're wrong and I'm right, which is a losing yeah. battle.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, and it wasn't good for my mental health, but I certainly learned a lot about how bigots argue their points. Um, and that's the thing: masculinist ideology is making shit up and then calling it science, so that anyone who disagrees with you is is branded as irrational. Right? You get to <laughs> tell them like, "I know science. This is what science is. And if you don't agree with me, you're you're stupid doo doo head." Um, And gender is one of those things. Gender, like like art and and like beauty and joy, is not something you can meaningfully rationalize or essentialize. You cannot say men are like this, men inherit this and this from their forefathers and, and women are... (laughs) <laughs> Consequently like this Because they inherit things From their mothers That's not how it works You inherit mm-hmm. things From both your Both your parents In in let's say A, a nuclear family situation um, So Owen's vis- vision of science Really resembles that Of let's say Phrenologists You know The people who yeah. did um, Brain uh, Skull measurements To measure people's intelligence Or um, Nazis Or just generally Other Scientifically illiterate Fascist regimes um, And it, it when we go back to this whole like trans bathroom stuff and gender essentialism and whatever, it's really not, it's only a stone's throw between these types of arguments and things like phrenology um, or the types of genetic arguments that Nazis would try to make about um, Jews and Romani people and, and whoever else. Right. There's uh, Mm -hmm. so many different, different examples of like, I've decided this person is less uh, quality than I, and I will try to, make some weird genetic argument to do so um and it's happened all throughout history and there's really nothing new to what you know let's say jordan peterson yes. is trying to tell the world these days
1: <laughs> what's there's a word for it what's the word um god damn it i need to look this up what's <laughs> eugenics there Stupid we go Stupid doo
0: head disease eugenics yeah it's eugenics
1: eugenics it's eugenics, eugenics is nothing
0: new <laughs> straight <laughs> yeah. up
1: yeah Nothing new at all. And, like, you know, like, sticking to this idea of, like, you know, a, a master race or eugenics or, like, some people being, you know, physically and DNA coded better than others. Like, it does mm-hmm. tie into another idea in the movie, which is electroshock therapy. And, mm-hmm. like, um, when they're torturing Stu with electricity... Uh, Owen says you know in my grandfather's day you'd be on a lobotomy table and yeah that, like I, I don't know about you Jake but like I, I think about this a lot where I'm like oh man if I existed a hundred years ago or 200 years ago or even like 50 years ago like I would be in a psych ward or I would be on a lobotomy table or I would be getting electroshock therapy or you know all these different things and like I, I actually think about that a lot and like that's that's where I think my privilege comes from right of like you know I'm in this kind of like upper middle class like white family and so I have and you know I'm born in the 21st century so I have that like privilege of like oh I'm not being lobotomized and I like I think lobotomies were only back in like the 50s or so like it's it's quite recent history. And, like, they were a Mm catch-all treatment for anyone who, like, didn't fit into societal expectations and norms, you know. So if you acted out in any way, your treatment would be like a lobotomy, which is, like, scrambling your frontal lobe. And, like, you know, like, this electroshock therapy is very similar to lobotomies of, like, okay, you're trying to electrocute the person to either, like, rewire their brain or to train them. And, like, Stu's aversion therapy, like, you know, where he's tortured, uh, really reminded me of a scene from the end of uh, A Clockwork Orange, where they're, Mm. you know, psychologists, (sighs) and they are, like, trying to train out the evil from uh, Alexander DeLarge, and by, like, electrocuting him and, like, showing him videos, like, endlessly, and, like, forcing him to stare at the screen.
0: Yeah, I mean, that, like, again, it was one of those scenes that was hard to watch because, and I found, like, I, we talked earlier about how, you know, the true horror of this movie was the the way that the campers were treated. Um, yes. That scene was hard to watch because I was like, this is a thing that actually happens. It's not like this is um, a, a creation of, you know, the twisted mind of, what's his name, uh, John Logan. Um mm-hmm. It's this is a this is a thing that has happened to real people and I I I'll be honest I felt a little bit yucky about it when I was watching the scene I was like because the yeah. way that uh, horror movies I we we've talked about how I'm I'm squeamish about certain things in movies right and yes and yes horror movies when they're when it's a slasher and it's something where it's like we're coming up with creative ways to kill. The characters of this movie because we're basically just playing dolls with fictional people and mashing them together yeah. and seeing what awful things we can do to a fictional person whatever go nuts when when it transcends into this level of like oh no this really resembles actual hate crimes that's where i start mm-hmm. to get squeamish and start to feel yucky about it it's the same way like people have talked about the beginning of it chapter two um yeah it's both. The, it's the first scene of the book, actually, of it, and and also the first scene of the second It movie, I believe, um, from from twenty nineteen or whatever that was. Um, it's how I start to feel. I don't know. It's like I I am totally fine with watching Jason Voorhees cut someone in half with a machete in one swoop. i got no problem with that, and their guts all fall out, and that's fun. When mm-hmm. something starts to resemble a lynching or or you know actual conversion therapy torture um yeah hate crimes it is it is then to me starts to cross a line i'm not here to say that this movie like definitively crossed a line and that that was unacceptable to portray Mm -hmm. um because sometimes also these things need to be portrayed to to get across the honesty of of what happened so i'm not i'm not here to say that this movie committed Uh, committed any wrongdoing by by portraying that but it it was it was uncomfortable I'll say that but sometimes things are meant to be uncomfortable
1: yeah I definitely think like Stu's torture was like that should be uncomfortable for the audience and I think it's a pretty mm-hmm. powerful statement because like you should feel very uncomfortable and like I love how they also show us because like they talk in the movie that as Stu is being strapped to the chair before he's electrocuted, they talk about how Zane, this previous camper, was subjected to the same torture and how Mm -hmm. Zane, you know, has become a bit of a sadist since his torture. And like, he seems to really relish electrocuting, um, Stu. And it shows us how, how much like this one act, of torture can fuck someone up for the rest of their life.
0: Zane's a rather interesting character because if we were to meet Zane, let's say 10 years earlier, I don't know exactly how old these folks are supposed to be, but if we had met Zane yeah. 10 years earlier, he would just be another one of the campers at the, the camp, right? Yeah. Um, I find this type of character interesting when they are victim turned aggressor where yeah. they... He, he was essentially successfully brainwashed uh, in the yep. way that they tried to brainwash Stu. And then through that, became the type of person, like became a monster essentially, became the type of person yes. who would then inflict that same thing onto um, essentially a younger version of himself in Stu. Um which is like it's it's sad to some degree. He's a tragic character, but also it's not like we have sympathy yeah. for him because he is doing these things to these people. So I always find those types of characters interesting. It's, it's certainly not the first one, but I never know how to feel about that person.
1: Yeah, because <laughs> he's a like at what point right? do
0: your choices make you who you are, and at what point do? the things that have been done to you make you who you are. Mm -hmm. And to me, it's when you start, I don't know when you hook a teenager up to a car battery, that kind of says (laughs) what, what we need to know about. Yeah. Yeah.
1: That kind of shows us who is, who is the evil. Like, and it's like, yes, he may have originally been a victim, but since he has become quite the aggressor.
0: You, you made a comment where you said, you know, how um, queer and trans people are, are how, you know, you would have been treated a hundred years ago. And I mentioned, you know, eugenics and, and specifically Nazis. Um, there's a, a story, like a piece of queer history that I just learned about very recently. Um, and I don't know if you would have heard about it uh, or, or wouldn't know about it, but the uh, Institute for sexual Um, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but it was, uh, mm-hmm. um, a private sexology research institute in germany from 1919 to 1933 it was headed by a man named magnus hirschfeld um it's translated nowadays as roughly the institute for the science of sexuality but this was a person over 100 years ago now in germany which was like a rather progressive society until the rise of hitler um was doing research on people who were gay and people who were trans and there's photos of him and and his cohort of students and research subjects who were all like gender diverse people um from a hundred years ago and and it's an institute that was yeah that was not allowed to continue by the nazi regime and when you hear about book burnings in in the nazi era um a lot of the famous pictures are from uh magnus hirschfeld's institute and they're they're burning his works Um, and so we actually lost, this is one of these things where the, the mid, the early to mid 1900s were such a regressive time politically. Um, Mm -hmm. there were incredibly progressive societies in the early 1900s that were essentially destroyed. Um, and, and this isn't just in, in Germany and in Europe and in places in North America as well. Um it feels like society took a massive step backwards during that time in a lot of ways. Yeah. And it's a real shame because the, the type of research that they were doing, it's, you know, we all obviously know what a tragedy world war two and, and the surrounding events are, but think about how we could have been a hundred years ahead of where we are now when it comes to research into sexual diversity and stuff. Cause it's something yeah, that it is just can't. sort of as a study is just sort of now getting back on its feet and it's still mocked. It's still like, Something that people are like, oh, you're going to get your degree in gender science or whatever. People act like this is useless research now. And we, we could have been a hundred years removed from where we're at now. But uh, history doesn't always shake out that way. It's, uh, it's a sad thing to think about. But I also find it weir- weirdly enlightening or encouraging that people a hundred mm-hmm. years ago did care. It's not like yeah. we're the first generation's... people alive today are not the first people to care about this stuff It, it yeah there's there's an established history there it's just been suppressed
1: yeah we may have lost some of our history and been put on pause but it is very uplifting to know that like oh we've been at this for hundreds of years like in the dark slowly you know maybe being pushed back a few times but like the gender and sexuality like research has been happening
0: yeah, it's it like both both sad and and a nice thought. Weirdly, I don't know if that <laughs> if that is summed up nicely. Um, yeah, we're kind of coming to the end of of our notes that we had written down. But one thing I wanted to ask is how do we feel this movie did specifically when it comes to representing gender diversity? Because um, I feel like okay, we had like you know there are a lot of things that I'm like. Uh, just i would expect a slasher movie like okay they're gonna kill off all the black characters first and then it's gonna be Mm -hmm. the trans women and stuff like that they didn't kill any of the queer characters other than maybe if you want to debate about the counselors and how how queer they were (laughs) Um, they, they didn't kill any of the kids the cast that were playing trans characters were actually trans Um, Mm -hmm. even some of the cast playing cis characters are non-binary. So, I mean, uh, they did a good job on some stuff, I feel, but how do, how do we feel that they did overall?
1: I, I feel like they did pretty well. I'm pretty happy that, you know, no people of color die in this movie. Like we only have white people killed, but Mm -hmm. for the gender diversity, I would say, I think they do pretty decently we have an asian like bisexual character we have you know a black uh woman of color we have Mm -hmm. like white queers and i think the only thing is like i wish they would have gone outside of the like stereotypical non-binary character and like Mm -hmm. that's pretty much all because like I mean, it's 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 a complaint that I've heard from like some of my friends in Newfoundland, like who were non-binary, like specifically from my friend who's two spirit, was that like mm. there is this stereotype that all non-binary people are this kind of androgynous, masculine, white, thin brunette, like I- ideal, and so I guess the only thing that I can critique with their gender diversity is that, you know, they stick with that stereotypical non-binary aesthetic. But aside from that, I think, like, it did really well. Like, I'm I'm very happy about, like, non-binary people playing non-binary people and about, like, hiring actual queer actors to portray queer characters.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, like... <laughs> It's weird because it feels like they did a better job than like ninety-nine percent of things I've ever seen, yeah. right? A- and yet it's still like my my one thing that I noticed, and like mm-hmm. someone pointed this out on Tumblr, which by the way, the Tumblr tag for this movie is it's it's rough. I don't bother. Um oh, <laughs> but <laughs> you no, know, it's mostly people are mad that it's Bloomhouse, because Bloomhouse made Split and that movie is seen as very ableist, which I agree with. Uh but I don't think any of those people made this movie. And so it seems like to me feels like some sort of misdirected anger, but yeah, that's neither here nor there. Um, one thing that someone pointed out that I have to agree with is that there's, um, there's a lesbian sex scene and there is a gay men sex scene. And the, like, let, let's let be honest, the lesbians like make love and it's very soft and tender and it's yes. on sunset out at the dock and the gay dudes, they fuck like that is it's yeah. rough it is like um it it feels mean there's lots of clutching and slamming and whatever um and i'm like look there's yeah. there's nothing <laughs> to, to steal the line from from everyone's favorite ally jerry seinfeld not that there's anything wrong with that right like there's we don't have a problem with that it's just like that's often how things are represented it's like yeah. Like, these things, like, I feel like that's half the reason people love Call Me By Your Name is because there's, like, soft, tender gay stuff in it, which we never get to mm-hmm. see. Um, yeah. So that's, that was something, um, but also, like, I'm, I'm not, like, mad mad. I'm just like, all right. And also, what is with movies yeah. and, like, why do dudes never use lube in these movies in, like, in scenes yeah! like this? Like this, I was like, shocked. I was like, "Dude, that would hurt!" Like straight up. Fucking Brokeback Mountain. Everyone's just going, just going raw. raw dog. Like no, no, mm. no preparation or anything either. Just like,
1: yeah, that is not yeah. how gay sex works. Like I will say, watching this movie, Stu and Gabriel fucking. That is not how it works <laughs> to have a pleasurable, enjoyable time. You need. You need to prepare, you want to use lube, like, use a condom, Mm -hmm. have that safe sex, like, they're all having unsafe
0: sex at this camp, like, mm -mm, mm -mm. mm-mm, mm-mm. They did not, there's no way they had a douche in that tool shed. No
1: fucking way.
0: No (laughs) fucking way. You trying to tell me they had one in there? No shot. (laughs) No
1: way, man. Okay, maybe, maybe Gabriel prepared ahead of time like he <laughs> he was praying upon stew so maybe he prepared ahead of time but you know what that's we, totally possible
0: yeah but they
1: never show us that prep maybe he did have a gatorade <laughs> bottle in that shower you know like maybe he
0: did tough to say um all right do we want to is there anything else you want to talk about before we get to what our next movie is do we feel like we've we've turned every uncovered every rock when it comes to they slash them
1: yeah i mean i feel like we've we've covered most of it i mean i guess my my last question i mean we've talked about your experience at camp but like how is oh, yeah. this as a camp movie yeah
0: that's a great question. I feel like camp movies, like the thing is, everyone has different experiences of camp, right? Like yeah. Like I said, some people love it. Some people, it's like a nightmare and it's like, get me out of here. Um, I was one of those people who loved it, but then people also have different experiences based on what camp you went to and they've all got mm-hmm. different rules and, and policies and things like that. Um, the, the parts that I found the most relatable were honestly like... Um, because, I mean, I, I wasn't at a camp that was designed to bully you for your sexuality. So, yeah, that's right away. Ha, like, 90% of this movie is not relatable. Honestly, like, a, a lot of people picked on the pink sing- scene, like the karaoke, sing-along, whatever yeah. scene. That was the part that felt most like a camp movie. Like, just really? goofing around after lights off. Everyone's supposed to be doing something else, but we're all up fucking around, like that, I don't know, like, just building camaraderie with people you just met, um, all those life chats that they had, by the way, there's, like, five different scenes of, like, just kind of life chats between the campers, whether it's, um, Jordan and Alexandra, or whether it's, uh, Kim and Veronica, there's, there's these scenes where, like, they have, like, these deep conversations about themselves and who they are, and, like, those kind of felt, like, the most authentic Mm -hmm. of a camp experience, um, but, no, I went to a camp that was more designed to, like... It was meant to push you out of your comfort zone. And, again, some people welcome experiences like that. And some people, that will be, like, too much of a, a boundary crossed. Um yeah. And that's okay. Not everyone has to like this, the same stuff. But, um, for for me, the best parts of camp were when you thought you couldn't do something and then you did it. Like, we would do um, out trips where we went, like, actual legit camping in the woods. Like, like you know, three-day trips with our canoes and stuff like that. And that was mm-hmm. awesome um but and i would say this does not reflect my experience at summer camp because i was not at a gay conversion summer camp so
1: yeah oh good i'm <laughs> glad you weren't
0: yeah and also like no camp i was ever at would just have any time of day where like the waterfront is so empty that you could just have lesbian sex out there without anyone seeing you <laughs> um, there's usually like a lifeguard on duty yeah someone would have put it put an end to that whether, what any kind of sex doesn't, you know, any, <laughs> it's not allowed. <laughs> that's no that's sex. what I'll say. Like no in broad sex daylight. Sex. Yeah. But I will like camp is also a place where like a lot of people have like, you know, first, first time experiences and exploratory stuff going on. And it's, mm-hmm. uh, it is a place built for coming of age stories to unfold. And that's, that's how it is. So, um, yeah. some, sometimes maybe good, sometimes maybe shit. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Overall, though, uh, they slash them is not a representative experience of camp as I know it. Good. I'm glad, honestly. (laughs) That'd be pretty fucked up if I was like, yeah, that was all all correct.
1: Yeah, yeah, that that would be (laughs) not so good. Then I would start to
0: worry for you. (laughs) Don't you worry about me. Um, Shannon, what movie are we watching next week? Or next Fortnite, if you'd rather.
1: Uh, Alright, so next up we have another movie from 2022. So we are keeping quite current. We are going to be mm-hmm. watching nope. nope. Nope is written and directed by Jordan Peele and it is starring Daniel Kaluuya, Kiki Palmer mm-hmm. and Steven Yun. So I'm yeah. I'm pretty excited. I've already seen this in theaters and I will say I do not like alien movies and I fucking loved this movie. Oh my God. It was amazing.
0: It was so good. Like, and so we didn't plan in advance. We have like a whole document with like, you know, dozens of movies listed that were like, you know, these are, these are sort of like the ballpark of movies that we'll watch next. And I sort of offhand mentioned to Shannon, like, Oh, I watched note by the way, last night. And it was amazing. And you were like, oh my god, it was awesome. And I was like, can we please talk about it on the podcast? Because there's so much like, to talk about and it's like, uh, there's a queer character, so it's like, it's not not queer. Um, It's not not (laughs) queer. We can talk about it. (laughs) We we won't necessarily need a uh, could have been gayer segment on that episode, but like, no, just like, it is chock full of like, themes. There is discourse to be had. There is like, narrative threads that like, it's interesting too because it's a movie that we we always say we're not horror snobs, we're not genre snobs, but it's it's absolutely not like a pure horror movie. Um, mm-hmm. But the horror elements are done really well. Like, oh God, they are! And and this is Jordan Peele's third movie, and he has not missed one time. Um, oh my God,
1: he's hit on the nose every single time. Like this man is
0: good at horror. Yeah, and also, like... Okay, and we'll I, we'll save it for next week, but, like, it is not the same as the other two movies. Like, you know, mm-hmm. Us was not the same as Get Out, and this is not the same as either of those. Like, it's it's not like he's sort of come up with a formula and is recreating it a bunch of times. Like, they are all entirely different experiences. Yeah. Um, and so I'm excited to talk about, like... You know, there's, there's themes around, like, spectacle and respecting nature and elements that are outside of your control and all these other like hubris and just all these things that people as a species contend with and Jordan Peele found a way to make wacky flailing inflatable arm flailing tube men scary so I mean scary yeah (laughs) yeah. (laughs) so um I'm excited to talk about it honestly like I'm I'm I just watched it like a few nights ago and I'm like excited to watch it again because it was it was that good it was
1: so so good yeah i'm trying i'm debating uh, whether i should find it online or if i should
0: go into theaters and watch it again like it was so good i'll be honest with you too i have not seen a movie in theaters since the pandemic like the last movie i saw in theaters was like early 2020 so um i don't know maybe if i can find it i'm still not like I'm still not like cool with crowds and stuff. So maybe if I can find mm. an empty enough theater, maybe I'll try and catch it. Cause like it begs to be seen on a big screen. I don't know. There's, oh, there good. are certain scenes where I was like, if I wasn't watching this on my laptop, this would look so sick. Oh
1: yeah. <laughs> I can tell. Yeah.
0: I can see <laughs> so, that. Well, uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. But anyway, I'm real excited to talk about it. It's a great movie. And uh, I feel like we'll have, we'll have lots to, uh, to get into.
1: Yeah. And until then, We'll uh, say bye-bye for now.
0: Yeah, we'll catch you on on the flippity flop. Everyone, thank you so much for listening. We, we really appreciate it when you do that. Um, if you like this episode, please feel free to follow us on our Instagram. Um, subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcatcher. So, you know, go listen to our backlog. We're on, what, episode 15 now? You've got so much content yeah. from us to get caught up on if you want to. Um, but, yeah, follow us on Instagram. I'm going to try and be more active on our Instagram, too. I'll try and, like, actually leave comments because y'all are starting to leave – nice comments for us and it's it's nice to to get some community vibes flowing again after the the discontinuation of our discord um and uh yeah if you want to talk to us if you want to let us know something then feel free to dm us i believe our dms are open um yes and uh, other than that yeah stay fresh and uh don't you ever ever feel like you're not, anything less than fucking perfect, or whatever Pink said in that song.
1: Fucking beautiful, yeah. <laughs> I uh,
0: it's, it's heartfelt apologies to Pink for butchering your your lyrics uh, <laughs> at the tail end of our podcast.
1: <laughs>
0: yes, sorry, that's how it goes Pink. Sometimes we, love we know you. Pink is like we know Pink is a loyal listener to Skeleton Closet the podcast, so yeah, we sincerely apologize to you individually, Pink. Um, yeah, all right, (laughs) bye
1: everybody. Bye.